You know, we really since the end of chapter 1 and now into chapter 2, we have been continued to talk about the subject of, of unity, of oneness. And primarily of oneness in the, the body of Christ, oneness in the church. And I made reference to it last week because in some ways it does apply even to the relationship between a, a husband and a wife. It really, these principles we're learning applies to all relationships uh, between fellow believers. But as we talked about, when you think about the, the book of Genesis and what it teaches us in regards to marriage, we're taught that a man and a woman are to leave their father and their mother and they're to come together and when they do, they are becoming as one. And that idea of becoming as one has a lot of meaning to it. It's not just talking about physically they are becoming as one, but as these two people that are usually coming from two different backgrounds, from two different families, they are to become as one and they grow together as one. And when you think about that, that what it should be motivating them in this becoming one is a common salvation that they have in Christ. They both have come to experience the salvation of knowing Jesus as their Savior and Lord. So as he's even speaking about here in verse 1 of chapter 2, there's an encouragement and support that they get from Christ, a consolation of love they get from Christ, and then from the Spirit of God there is the fellowshipping and there is the, the sympathy and the affections and the compassions that all people who know Jesus as their Savior and Lord experience and have experienced in coming to him. So they're motivated by this common salvation. But also, beloved, if you recall last time when we were looking together, we noticed he says there in verse 2 that we're to be of the same mind. And again, when you think about even in a marriage, that two people, again, from different backgrounds that have grown up with different ideas, different family traditions, now are thrust together. And as they come together, they're again, they're becoming one also in their mindset. They're becoming one in their thinking. And that idea of mindset there is they're, they're thinking the same way. They begin to think the same way about life. They begin to think the same way about spiritual things. They begin to think how, the same way about how to live life. They're thinking the same way in regards to the priorities of life. And these are things that they grow together. And I'm sure many of you here today could, could testify to that. And the, the, the marriages that you have been in for, for many years and that you've seen how you've grown together together as one. And this is the same principles that we find here in the church. That when we're speaking about church unity, church unity speaks of this type of oneness. And in some ways, church unity can be harder and this oneness can be harder in the church than it can be in a marriage because a marriage is just dealing with two people. When you're dealing with a church, you're dealing with way more than two people that are trying to come together and to be one. One in their mindset, one in their understanding about things. And you have people that are coming from various backgrounds, various ways of thinking that are coveting together in a local church for the cause of Christ. But everyone here has that same thing we were talking about a moment ago that two people would have in a marriage that are believers. They have, we all have the same common 
salvation. We have all experienced the salvation in Christ and we can all draw upon that and that is a motivation that we have in our heart that we know Christ as our Savior and our Lord. We have this common bond, these common blessings that are ours in salvation in Christ, the sharing of the Holy Spirit. You see, beloved, that's why if you're here today, you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. You've never truly bowed your knee to Him, putting your faith in Him, turning from your sins to trust in Christ, that this is where it must start. You must have this common bond, the common blessing, because as we know from the Word of God, the Word of God says that a person who's not a Christian has a different mindset than a Christian. Because the the person who's not a Christian has a mindset that's set on the things of the world. It is set on the things of the flesh. Whereas the Christian, the believer, has a mindset, a mind that is set on the things of God, on the things of heaven, on spiritual things, the things of the Spirit, the things that we come to understand and know from the Word of God. So it's two different mindsets that are going on there. And that's why if if you're here today and you don't know Christ, that's where it must start. You must put your faith in Christ. But as we think about even as Christians, coming to have the same mindset, it, it can be a struggle to come to think the same way. Because as I said, we all are coming here together. And we all have our ideas about church. We have all have our ideas about the Word of God. We all have our ideas about life. We all, I'm sure if we were to all stand up today, this morning, and everybody start to share their testimony, some of you here would say, I didn't grow up in church. I never stepped foot in a church when I was a young person growing up. Some of you would say, I have grown up in church. I was here the nine months with my mama before I was born, and I was raised in church, and I was always in church. I've always been a part of the church. Some of you would say, I grew up in this church, or I grew up in another Baptist church. And some of you would say, well, I grew up in a totally different kind of church. And now here we are all thrown together in that we've all covenanted together here at this church, this local church, and now we're trying to come together as one and be of the same mind, have that same mindset. So how are we going to do that? Well, as we've talked about, it's from having the same source. And that source is God's Word. Where God's Word is the final authority. And as we study God's Word together, as we grow in our understanding of God's Word together, God's Word is what begins to shape our thinking and shape our mind and the way we think about life, the way we think about God, the way we think about church, the way we just think about things of of spiritual nature. So a, a church's mindset is becoming more as one as we grow together in the Word of God. But now this morning, as we're going to continue on and look at the the rest of this this passage, the rest of verse 2 and verse 3 and verse 4, that when this happens, that you can see what I call some, some particular marks of unity. You see, we've talked about church unity starts with having the same motivations. It continues on with having the same mindset. 
And what I want you to see is when we have the same motivations that's been driven by the same mindset, it will begin to show itself in some of the very same marks of unity in the body of Christ. That as our attitudes are being knitted together by the Word of God, it will begin to give us the same affections, the same ambitions, and the same agenda. See, when, when we starts with a Christ-like attitude that is developed from the same source, the Word of God, that's been driven by the same motivation of the common salvation that we have in Christ, when that begins to really take hold in our hearts and in our life, it will begin to show itself. It will begin to leave little marks, and those marks will be, again, will have the same ambitions, the same agenda, the same affections. In the body of Christ. So let's look at those here this morning. As we're growing in unity, one of the first marks will be our affections will become as one. Our affections will become as one. Notice again what Paul says there in verse 2. Remember the main idea there in verse 2 is being of the same mind. So when we are of the same mind, this is what we'll begin to see coming out of that. And one of those things, he says, is maintaining the same love. Which is to say that we will have the same love for one another. That is, our hearts will be knitted together, sewn together in love in such a way that we are devoted to one another. In fact, just for a moment, if you will, look over in the book of Romans, to Romans chapter 12. Look at Romans chapter 12. And we're told in verse 10 that we are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. Look down at verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Paul here is writing really similar things that we're seeing there in Philippians 2. Where he's saying, look, when you have the same affections for one another, when we are growing in our affections, whereby our affections, through our affections, we are becoming one. It will show that when somebody's rejoicing, we all rejoice. When somebody's weeping, we all weep. When somebody's struggling, we all are concerned. and We all move in. We all want to help to meet that need. It's a being devoted to one another in this brotherly love. Being of the same mind toward one another. That same mindset that comes back to John, the apostle, spoke of it like this in 1 John 3 and verse 17 and 18. He says, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed, in truth. Jesus told the story not just of the lost sheep, but he tells the story also of the sheep that goes astray and the concern and care that should be there for that one. Beloved, when Paul says maintaining the same love, he's speaking about having a genuine care and concern for the spiritual well-being of others in the church. And look, 
these things are not easy. Okay, these things are not easy. Sometimes, you know this in your own personal life, sometimes you're easier to love than other times. We all can struggle. But what he's saying here is maintain the same love. That it's the same love throughout. That's why he says there in Romans 12, be of the same mind towards one another. That is, be willing to even associate with the lowly. It's not just with certain people. He says you maintain the same love throughout the church, throughout the body of Christ. It's interesting, he, he speaks over in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 1, in verse 3, He's commending them, praising God for them because the love of each one of you towards one another grows ever greater. That is an amazing statement. The love of each one. There was no one that was left out. He says, each one of you, your love towards one another is growing ever greater. Let you go back to the early church we found in the book of Acts. And what is it that we see? We see this church that was together as one that had all things in common that was willing to meet the needs of one another. It's speaking about our will, our words, our works. And this is what happens when we're becoming more of one in our mindset. Our affections will begin to become as one. To become as one. Let's go back to Philippians 2. And I want you to see the second mark that Paul makes reference to here. And that is that our ambitions will become as one. Our ambitions will become as one. We find this in verse 2 and even down in verse 3. In verse 2 we find it when he says, If we're being of the same mind, then we'll be united in spirit. United in spirit, that actually means we will be soul brothers. That's what he's speaking about, being soul brothers. As we're told over in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, it says there, the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. One heart and soul. This is speaking about our ambitions. That our ambitions become as one. Now what goes against that, what fights against that, is what he makes reference to there in verse 3. When he's having to say, do nothing. And always make a note when you see these universal statements. Do nothing from selfishness. Do nothing from empty conceit. Do nothing out of a selfishness for our own interest. And he's saying do nothing for your own glory to gain your own glory just to gain your own way. This goes against us coming together as one in our ambitions. That word there for selfishness is the same word that Paul uses over in Galatians 5 and verse 20 when he's speaking about the deeds of the flesh. And he says one of the deeds of the flesh is the word for disputes. That disputes come from selfish ambitions. And in fact, uh, James actually makes this very explicit in what he has to say over in James chapter 3 and verse 16. He says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
if there is jealousy and selfish ambition, if it is there and it exists, he says, there is disorder and there is every evil thing. This wisdom is not from above. It's earthly. It's natural. Where jealousy, selfish ambition, if they are there, you can count on it. At some point, there will be disorder. It will happen. And this is where he's saying, our ambitions are to be noble. Our ambitions are to come from the Word of God. Paul's even had to address this, if you remember, back in chapter 1 of Philippians. Remember he said that there were a group of preachers in the area that were actually preaching from selfish ambitions, selfish motives. They were doing that because they were actually trying to cause problems for Paul. They thought that by doing this, they would bring some more stress upon the life of Paul, a man who's already experiencing enough stress. He's in jail. He's in prison. He's been there for a couple of years. And they're out preaching Christ, but they're doing it out of selfish motives, selfish ambitions, not from pure motives. They weren't doing it out of a love, a love for Paul. They were doing it out of envy and out of strife. And Paul, again, Paul was even willing to, in some sense, to overlook that from the standpoint of saying, you know what, their motive may have been wrong, and it may be wrong, and it's sin, and it's wrong for them to do that, and it does hurt the cause of Christ in that way, but, but they're preaching Christ. And they're preaching Christ. Again, we talked about that when we walked through it. They're preaching Christ. Then he knows that God, by the power of the gospel and the word of God, that folk to be convicted of their sin and put their faith in Christ. So, beloved, our ambitions are to be as one. You say, well, what should be our ambition? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says our ambition should be to just glorify God. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, it doesn't matter what it is that we're doing in our life, what we're doing in the church. Our ambition is to glorify God. Also, the Apostle Paul says over in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 and verse 9, he says, whether I am absent or present, that is, whether I am absent from the Lord or I'm present with the Lord, it is my ambition to be pleasing to God. That's what I want. Our ambition is to please God in glorifying God and how we live our lives, but also to please God and glorifying God and how we live together in the body of Christ. Our ambition is to win others to Christ. Our ambition is to strengthen others in Christ. You see, our ambition is not to get our way. It's to glorify our Lord. It's to glorify Him. And so notice what he says if you're back in Philippians 2. How can we do this? says, don't do some, anything with selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard. That idea of regard there, it doesn't just mean just to kind of think about it. He means be intentional. Intentionally think of other people, he says there, as more important than yourself. Now that goes against the culture of our day. The culture of our day that basically says... You live for you. You live your life for you. 
this is about you. This is about me. This is about us or about myself. But God's word says, in humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. How can I have this type of humility? How can I have such a humility of mind that it says, I think of you as more important than me? Well, it's not really as hard as you may think. All it really takes is for us to be honest with ourselves before the Lord. Because, you know what? I know myself better than I know anybody in this room. I know myself better than I know my wife or my children. Because not even they know what all I think. And not even they know all the motivations behind everything that I do. But I know it. And I know how sinful it can be. You see, I don't know all about you and you don't know all about me. And you don't know all about anybody else in this church. But you know about you. And if you get honest before the Lord, you will come to the same conclusion that Paul came to. Remember what Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. It wasn't because Paul had done more sin than anybody else. It's because Paul knew his own heart. And he knew more things about himself than he knew about anybody else in this world. And he knew the wickedness that was there in his heart. He knew the sinfulness that was there in his heart. That's why he could say over in Romans 7, all the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing them. The things I know that I shouldn't be doing, I'm doing. The things I should be doing, I'm not doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Because he knew that. That's why Paul is saying, look, think of yourself in that way. What we have a tendency to do is to ignore our own sinfulness. And what Paul is saying here is, look, just have a humility of mind that says, I'm going to think of you as more important than me. And as that happens, beloved, what you'll begin to see is affections and ambitions becoming one. But that all starts with the same attitude that comes from Christ. Again, that's why I say you, you need Christ first and foremost. But let's look at one other mark that he gives us here. And I call this our agendas become one. As we become of the same mindset, the same attitude, it will have an impact in our life in that our agenda will become as one. Go again, if you will, back to verse 2. And he says, being of the same mind, you be intent on one purpose. That is, thinking one purpose. That is, there is one overarching thing that will be driving everything that we do. Everything that we do. And this is important. It is important because when you read on what he says there in verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Notice, he's not saying looking out for your own interests is wrong. That's not what he's saying. 
But he's saying if you just merely look out for your own interest, that's wrong. That's sin. And by interest here, personal interest, in the context of what he's speaking about, is he's speaking about spiritual endeavors, spiritual enterprises, things that you would be involved in, in ministry, in the church, whatever it may be. And he knows that, yes, it is right for for someone to be passionate about the things that they do in the areas in which you serve. And there's nothing wrong with those interests. Notice he's not saying there's something wrong with having a personal interest. Everybody here has personal interests. You have personal interests in this church. There are certain areas where you have more of an interest than you do in others. You might say for me as a pastor, one of my primary interests is going to be in the preaching and the teaching of the word of God that's going to come from this pulpit. That's going to be something I'm going to be very interested in and how it happens and what goes on. Whereas when you serve in certain areas in the church, rightfully so, that's where you have a personal invested interest. And there's nothing wrong with that. And you should be passionate about that. But what he says it does go wrong is when you say, and you're thinking in your heart, I'm just going to look out just for my interest. Just for whatever it is that I'm involved in. Whatever it is that I do. This is all that I care about. It doesn't matter if it means to the detriment of the rest of the church and everything else that's going on. See, this is where he's saying, that's why he's saying our agenda has to be as one and that agenda is to come together as one to speak with one voice to glorify God. Disunity happens in the church when we become more just solely interested in our own personal agenda. And again, really, beloved, this can be more of a struggle when you have folks that are passionate about what they do and and should be passionate. But notice something. Go back again for a moment to to Romans. Go to Romans chapter 15. Go to Romans chapter 15. In Romans 15, he's obviously coming on the heels of some of the things he was addressing in chapter 14. And there he's talking about unity in the body of Christ, of how to live together when you have different preferences and different understanding about things. And some people's consciences are a little more sensitive to some things than others. And how do you live together with one another? And just notice just what he says here, beginning in verse 1, Romans 15, verse 1. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's really based off all that, he says in verse 7, therefore accept one another, just as Christ accepted us to the glory 
of God. See, what he's saying is our, our, our aim, our agenda of all that we do is to be, again, for the glory of God. We're, we come together for this. And so Paul is saying that when we become of that same mindset, it will begin to show itself in these ways. That you'll, you'll see yourself, and this is what you need to think about, your own heart, your own life, and to say, do I have the affection that we're talking about here? Do I have this type of affection for one another? Do I have the same ambition? Do I have the same agenda? Am I looking at these things in this way? Our agenda is to glorify God, the saving of souls, the strengthening of saints. Here's the, here's the thing. When you, you can boil it down to this, what Paul is saying. And this is how, again, it doesn't matter relationships in the church or just relationships anywhere. It comes to this, that there, there's going to be unity and this oneness that he's speaking about when the order stays in this order. God, then others, then me. God's first, others are second, I'm last. Now, if we're honest, if we're honest, whether it can be in our our marriages, it can be in the church, it can be in any relationship we have, what ends up happening when there's the discord is me goes first. It's me, then maybe God, and then others. It starts with God, then Paul says, look at others, then look at yourself. And look, Paul has already shown this in other areas of his life and life in the church where you go back to the freedoms he talks about in Christ. Remember Paul says, look, I know I have the freedom to eat meat or do certain things, but because it may harm my brother, I'm going to deny myself that. There's something more important than me. And it's my brother or sister in Christ. So let's just summarize it this way. It starts with a saving relationship with Christ. Let me ask you that this morning. That's the first question. And that's the most important question is, do you have a saving relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ? Because see, if you don't have that, then there's no way there can be unity. It just can't, it can't happen. Because you have two different masters. Okay? And we have two different mindsets. And if that's where you are today, I would plead with you by the, the mercy of God that you need to be saved. You need to repent of your sins. You need to put your faith in Christ. You need Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus came and he lived a life without sin. So that that life that he lived could be actually credited, given to you. And he goes to a cross without sin. So that he could take our sins upon himself. So that God who is just and righteous could somehow forgive and declare people who are sinners just and righteous. Well, the only way he's going to do that is through his son, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross, who took our sins upon himself. 
And God was satisfied with that. Please understand, God the Father is satisfied with the the life and the death of His Son. He's satisfied fully, completely in Him. And we know that because God raised Him from the dead on the third day, declaring, I am satisfied. And you know what? Everything that Jesus did, it will be given to you, credited to you, if you will repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ and trust him, it starts there. Then now you have the ability to have the mindset of Christ. And we get the mindset of Christ by continually coming to the word of God, reading it together, studying it together reading it on your own, studying it on your own, letting God's word shape the way we think, as we talked about last week, letting the words of Christ richly dwell within you. And as that happens, you begin to think God's first, the other people around me are second, and I'm last. And this is how God, and what Paul was encouraging in the church at Philippi, how the Lord would bring this, this oneness there in the body of Christ or maintain it that was there. It's not that they didn't have it. They did, but they had some issues that they were going to have to work through. In fact, when we get over to chapter 4 in Philippians, we're going to find something that's going to probably, if you really stop and think about it, it's going to blow your mind. Because you've got to remember now, Paul writes these letters and they take these letters and they come and they read them out loud. So just think if we're reading out loud and all of a sudden we get to chapter 4 and two names that are here in this church, all of a sudden your name's mentioned. And Paul mentions them by name and says, help these two ladies because they're having some struggles. And he says for the church to come around them to do that. But as you can see, the pace we're going, we're going to be a while before we get there. So you've got time to think about that before we get there. But beloved, do you know Christ? Do you desire the mindset of Christ? Do you want to put others first? I mean, God first, others second, and you last. That's what God's word calls for. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer.